Well, we are glad you're here today, and uh, what a blessing it is to have you with us. And uh, last Sunday, we began a brand new sermon series entitled God's Masterpiece, and we began talking about really embracing the process of change. Uh, and last week, we kind of laid some foundational truths. We talked about that uh, we, we watched the video. Let me just encourage you real quick. Let me back up and say this. Let me encourage you to do two things if you weren't here last Sunday. Uh, you can go online to our website and uh, go ahead and listen to the sermon from last Sunday. You can subscribe to our podcast if you're an iTunes user and you can get that uh, on your podcast and listen to it. And then I also want to encourage you to go ahead and go out to YouTube uh, and look up. We used the Skit Guys video entitled Chisel and uh, just an awesome presentation of how God is consistently at work chiseling, uh, shaping, forming, and fashioning our hearts into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ and helping us grow and become more and more like Christ. And so as we kind of began that journey together, uh, we started talking about really how that we embrace the process of change. And we, we kind of identified a couple things. We said there are four chisels that God uses in our lives, right? We said God uses the Word of God, God uses the Holy Spirit, God uses people, and God uses circumstances. And through those four things, God cuts away the things in our life that don't belong, and God refines and perfects the things in our life that do belong. God is perfecting us, shaping us, sculpting us as a master sculptor into the image of His Son, Jesus. And we made a really a pivotal point last week, and that was simply this. The way you respond to the chisel of God, the way you respond to what God is doing in your life, determines how quickly you are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we made the statement that we've all seen people, right? We've all seen people that have been saved for six months, and man, they have been radically changed by God, and they look like a brand new person. And then we've seen people that have been saved for six years, and it looks like they got saved yesterday, <laughs> right? They haven't changed that much. And so what's the difference? The difference is how you respond to the chisel of God. How do you respond to that process of God shaping and forming and fashioning your heart and your life into the image of Jesus Christ? So when we embrace it, right, then we are transformed supernaturally. When we reject that work of God in our life, it stifles the growth and it literally shuts down the transformation process because we resist the work of the Lord in our life. So let me just read to you this morning Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And then we're going to kind of dive into some good things today. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. Amen. And God is shaping and forming and fashioning us into the image of his son, Jesus. Now today, we're going to talk about the joy of of the process. The scripture says this in the book of Hebrews that Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame. So Jesus recognized something. Jesus recognized that there was joy on the other side of the pain. And it was the joy on the other side of the pain that gave him the grace, the strength, and the peace to endure the pain 
for the joy that was to come. And so today, we're going to talk about the joy of the process. And I want to paint a picture for you today of the joy to come in your life. I'm not talking about when you die and go to heaven. I'm talking about what might come even today, right? There may be some joy that's going to come today. There may be some things that are going to come tomorrow. Depending upon where you're at in the process, there is joy to come if we stay true to what God is wanting to do in our lives through that process of change. Amen? So we're going to look at that joy today. So let's look together in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 5. The scripture says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. And we're going to stop there for just a minute. Don't, look what he says, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Let me give you just a simple thought. When I hear the word discipline, I automatically think negative, <laughs> right? I kind of think pain and suffering and hardship and punishment and all those things. And, uh, and, and you know what? Those things are true about discipline. And we're going to see that today. But I want to give you a bigger picture. I want to give you a biblical picture of the discipline of God. Because we're going to read a few more scriptures, and this word discipline is going to appear over and over and over in scripture. So I want you to see really what God is saying when he talks about the discipline of the Lord. The word discipline in the Greek literally means this. This is what it means. It means the process of training and educating a child. The process of training and educating a child. And then it goes further, and it goes into this saying. It says, it is to train and educate the heart, the mind, and the body to create moral excellence and to produce the virtues of Christ. And so, when the Bible talks about the discipline of the Lord, it's literally talking about a process of training and education. For our heart, our mind, and our body that produces moral excellence and produces the virtues of Christ in our life. In other words, it is the process of training and educating a believer so that they become more and more like Jesus. And so this is an exciting thing when you begin to think about it. And I just want to kind of pause for a second and ask, a, answer the question, why do we need a process of training and education? Why do we need that? Why do we need the discipline of the Lord? I'm going to give you three reasons. There's a lot, but I'm going to give you three. The first one is the process of training and education is critical because God wants to grow you from immaturity to maturity. Let's just think about your natural children for a minute. How many know that when your baby is born, it is immature? And as they grow, they grow up very selfish and self-centered. Right? It's mine, mine, mine. Right? And it is the desire of every godly parent to see our children grow to a place of maturity. Right? Every mom, every dad in this place wants their kids to grow up and mature out of selfishness, out of self-centeredness, out of immaturity, out of those little temper tantrums. Right? You ever seen a two-year-old temper tantrum? You ever seen a 20-year-old temper tantrum? You ever seen a 40-year-old temper tantrum? I've seen some 80-year-old temper tantrums. Right? I mean, we got grown men stomping their feet and crying and throwing things because they didn't get their way. Right? 
How many know God has a process of training and education because he wants us to grow from immaturity to maturity where we actually begin to walk in the fullness of what God has for us? The second reason we need a process of training and education is because God wants to take us from a place of being uneducated to being highly educated. Now let's just think about this for a minute. Think about you again in the natural. Let's just do a comparison. In the natural, when your baby is born, your baby is totally uneducated. Right? It doesn't know how to write its name. It can't write a sentence. It can't read a book. It can't distinguish colors. It don't even know how to get itself dressed. It doesn't know how to feed itself. Right? Your baby is totally uneducated. Your child is totally uneducated. And we have decided as a culture, Americans, not just Americans, humans, have decided years ago that we need a process of education, right? We call it the, the, the educational system here in America, right? Where we want to educate our children because we recognized a long time ago our children need to learn some things. They need to go from being uneducated to being highly educated, right? And we've recognized in America, 12 years of high school is probably not enough. You probably need four years of college. You might need another year of college. You might need four more years of college or maybe eight more years of college. You might need a doctorate degree to do whatever it is you've got to do. But we recognize in our nation, education is important, right? Because if you're uneducated, what happens? Uneducation, it just robs you of the potential of doing things that you're really capable of doing. You've just not been trained and taught how to do it. Right? And so God has a process because how many of you realize we have a lot of uneducated Christians? Right? They don't know the things of God. They don't know how to operate in the things of God. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to lead somebody to Christ. They don't know how to disciple somebody. <clears throat> right? They don't know how to walk out their freedom. They don't know how to live a victorious Christian life. There are so many things that many Christians are lacking out on, not because they're ignorant, not because they're dumb, not because they're not capable, but because they're uneducated. Right? They're just uneducated. I heard a great little story. Uh, a <clears throat> lady was sharing this story. She said uh, she took a little combination padlock. Y'all remember those when you were in high school, all you folks back in the day? Right? You had that little combination lock. She said she was teaching a big old seminary, a seminar, and she had all kinds of people in there. She said, all right, she said, I, I want to find out who's the, who's the most educated person in the room. So she said, who, who, stand up if you got a high school diploma. And she said, just about everybody stood up. She said, now, stand, stay standing if you got a, a, a four-year, uh, if you got a bachelor's degree. And she said, a lot of people sat down. And she said, now, stay standing if you got a master's degree. More people sat down. And she said, stay standing if you got a doctorate degree. And she said, everybody sat down for about two people. And she said, now, let's see, how many of you got, well, who's got the furthest education? And finally, well, she was down to one person. And she said, so you're the most educated person in the room. She gave him that combination lock. She said, I need you to open this for me. He said, uh, what's the combination? She said, I don't know. You're the most educated person in the room. Why don't you figure it out? <laughs> she said she gave her a little speech. 30 minutes later, that guy was still working on that combination. She said, hey, why don't I help you out? Why don't I tell you the combination? He said, okay. She told it to him. He opened it. She took it from him. She locked it back. She said, I'm going to give it to you again. Let me see how long it takes you to open it this time. It took you 35 minutes last time. 30 seconds he had it open. What was the difference? He had been educated. He was the most educated person. Let me just give you this thought. You can be educated in the things of the world and be ignorant of the things of God. You can be educated 
in the things of the world and be ignorant of the things of God. And so God has a training and education process called the discipline of the Lord where God wants to educate you in the things of God. Nothing wrong with our regular education. God says there's just more I want to educate you in because there are some things I want to unlock in your life that you'll never learn unless somebody gives you the code. Right? You'll never learn it until somebody gives you the code. And so God wants to educate us. So why do we need a process of training education? Because he wants to grow from immaturity to maturity, from uneducated to highly educated. Let me give you the last one. He wants us to go from being unskilled to highly skilled. I mean, think about your kids again. Right? They can't tie their shoes. They, they don't even know how, on their own originally, they don't even know how to get dressed. They don't know how to brush their teeth, comb their hair. Right? They are totally unskilled, right? When they're born, all they can do is cry and eat and poop. They're really good at those three things. Other than that, they're this unskilled, right? And so we recognize, hey, we realize, hey, our kids need to be trained. They need to be educated because we want them to be highly skilled, right? Why do we want them to be highly skilled? Because we want them to grow up, listen to this, and be highly skilled so they can actually add value to somebody else's life. How many know we got a lot of unskilled Christians? God wants you to be skilled, highly skilled. He wants you to know how to pray for people, He wants you to know how to minister to people, He wants you to know how to lead a Bible study, He wants you to know how to study the Bible. He wants you to know how to encourage people that are discouraged. He wants you to know how to counsel people that are hurting and broken. There's just a lot of skills in the Christian faith that most Christians never learn. Why? Because here's what happens. We resist the process of change. We resist the discipline of the Lord. Because we're going to see discipline is painful. The process of training and education is not always fun. And so this is what happens. We run from pain. And get, think about this for a minute. This is a crazy thought. The Holy Spirit just kind of, I just saw this really for the first time this morning. He said, Keith, if you run from pain, you're always going to experience more and more pain. But if you embrace the pain and learn from it, then afterwards there is a great reward. Think about the pain in your life. Think about the things. Some of you right now in this room, many of you have went through hell and high water, right? You've went through difficult, challenging times. And if you walked through that hell and that high water and you stayed true to Jesus, you know what happened? You came out on the other side better than you were before. Right? Because if you embrace the pain, if you work through the pain, if you don't run from the pain, the pain will perfect the things that God actually wants to do in your life and help you to become a person that looks more and more like Jesus. So we're going to read the rest of the scripture, and I'm going to kind of just, I'm going to, I'm going to read the word discipline a little bit different. I'm going to give you the definition. I'm just going to read the definition into the scripture. So let's look at verse 6. For the Lord puts into the process of training and education those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child as you endure this divine process of training and education remember that God is treating you as his own children whoever heard of a child who is never trained or educated by his father if God doesn't train and educate you as he does all of his children it means you are illegitimate and are not really his child at all and since we respect our earthly fathers who trained and educated us, shouldn't we submit even more to the training and education of the Father of our spirits and live forever? 
For if our earthly fathers trained and educated us for a few years doing the best they knew, but best they knew how, but God's training and education is always good for us, always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No training or education is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Afterwards. Afterwards, right? For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. The joy that was going to come after the pain. Right? If you can get an image of the joy to come after. Not in heaven. It may be tomorrow. It may be today. But after the pain. There is joy to come. And if you can get a picture of that, it gives you grace to endure the suffering and the discomfort of the moment. No, look at this, verse 11 again. No process of training and education is enjoyable while it's happening, it's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Look at the first point on your outline. The chisel of God, the discipline of God, is not a weapon of destruction. It's not a weapon of destruction. It is a tool of redemption and transformation. It is, it is a process, if you want to write this down, it is a process, right, of training and educating our hearts. It's not a tool of destruction. It is a process. It is a tool of redemption and transformation. The chisel of God is painful, but it produces great joy. How many, how many athletes in the house? How many of you grew up playing sports? Anybody grow up playing sports? I grew up playing basketball, and we used to run these things called suicides. I'm just telling you, when I was running suicides, I was thinking, my coach is trying to kill me. Right? And you'd run and run and run and run until you threw up, and then guess what? You got to run some more. Right? Y'all remember those days? You remember those days running, 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 and you're like, man, what? he's trying to kill us. What is he trying to do? Is he trying to kill us? How I many you know your coach wasn't trying to kill you? He was trying to make you better than you'd ever been before. See, the chisel of God is not a tool of destruction. God's not out to get you. God's not out to kill you. God's not out to destroy you. God wants to train and educate you in such a way that you become more and more and more like Jesus. And you know what? It's painful. Y'all remember high school science class? Boy, that was painful. Right? Remember algebra or trigonometry or calculus, man, wasn't that painful? Remember writing all those reports? I mean, you had to read books and write reports. Who in the world ever thought about that? I mean, write, read books and write reports, and I thought, man, how painful that was. If you went on to college, you, you probably took some final exams. You know what? I've never met anybody taking their final exam that says, man, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. Man, when you're taking those final exams, you know what you're doing? You're groaning, you're grunting. You're like, this is horrible. I just can't wait to get through this. If I can just make it through this one test, everything is going to be all right. I can't believe that my whole career and my whole life depends on this one test. This is the most agonizing thing I've ever been through in my life. Why? Because the process of training and education is painful. It's painful doing math. It was painful doing science. It was painful writing those reports, right? We just had some high school seniors graduate, and I love talking to high school seniors before they graduate because they're all ready to graduate, and then a year later, they all wish they could go back to high school. Why? Because when you're in the midst of the process of training and education, it's painful. It's challenging. It stretches you. It hurts you. But you know what? Now we all look back, 
And boy, boy, aren't you glad you graduated high school? Aren't you glad you pressed through the pain? Aren't you glad you went on to college? Aren't you glad you learned that skill or that trade and you became that person you are today? Aren't you glad you didn't give up throwing the towel? Aren't you glad you didn't walk away from the pain? Jess, aren't you glad you didn't quit medical school? Man, I know you thought about it. It was hard, right? It's hard. It's painful. But you know what? That's what the process of training education is all about. It's, about. it's about pushing you beyond your limits. It's about stretching you to do things you never thought you were capable of doing. And on the other side, guess what? Afterwards, it produces joy. Afterwards, it produces a harvest of right living. And if we can just get an afterwards mentality, we can embrace the pain of the process. And we can say there's joy in the process because God's producing some things in me that I could never get any other way. So let's talk about those joys, the joys of the process. I'm going to give you four of them today. The first one is the joy of sonship. The joy of sonship. The chisel of God proves that we are his children. Now you may be a, a daughter and not a son, but you get the idea, right? It's the joy of sonship. Let's look at our scripture. We're going we're to jump down a couple of verses, uh, but let's look at Hebrews 12, 8. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. If God doesn't discipline you, if you're not in the process of training and educating, then you're probably not a child of God, the Bible says, because God disciplines all of his children. And, and let me just say this to you today. Let me, let me talk about two kind of extremes in this element right here. Part of discipline is punishment. Right? You, you ever had your kids do something, they knew they were going to get in trouble, and they said, well, what's my punishment? Right? They knew there was a punishment coming. They knew there was a re I grew up in my house, punishment was always the same. It was a whooping. Right? <laughs> I mean, it worked, praise God. Right? There was punishment, right? But let me tell you something about punishment. I don't punish your kids when they make a bad grade and you don't punish mine. Right? I don't punish your kids when they do something wrong and you don't punish mine when they do something wrong. Why? Because we only punish our own kids. See, the, the first joy is the joy of sonship. If you do something wrong and God punishes you, Rejoice because you're his child. Amen. Right? I can rejoice because I'm his child. I'm just going to tell you, I've said this before. I say, I say it simply this way. If you can sin and win, you're probably not a child of God. Right? Because I don't know about you. I sin and suffer. I sin and suffer. <laughs> I sin and suffer. I mean, God doesn't let me off the hook not one bit. I mean, when I do something I shouldn't do, I mean, I just think a bad thought I shouldn't think. And I mean, the Holy Ghost is on me. I mean, I can't enjoy it. I can't enjoy sin. I can't enjoy being mean to people. I can't enjoy being cold-hearted and callous toward people. I can't enjoy jealousy and envy and strife and division and discord. Those things tear me up. Why? Because I'm a child of God. Man, what a joy, the joy of sonship. When God punishes you, rejoice, I'm his child. God loves me. That validates that I am his son or his daughter, and he, is, he has got my number. Praise God. Man, don't you watch your kids? We watch our kids. 
We tell them the Holy Ghost is watching them. Right? Little verse we always quote when our kids were little growing up. Be sure your sin will find you out. And let me tell you, it always does. It always does. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it'll come. And when we find out about it, you know what we're going to do? We're going to deal with it. You know why we're going to deal with it? Because we love you. Why does God deal with sin in our lives? Because he loves us. Well, let's flip the coin. So there's, so there's punishment when we do wrong, but, but there's a whole other side of this thing I want you to see that, that validates our sonship. Because God told me this morning, he said, Keith, there's some people in this situation I'm about to talk about, and, and the Lord wants you to know you're right where you're supposed to be, and this is what it is. So God, God punishes when we do, do wrong, but when we do wrong, but God also pushes us to do more than we ever thought we could do. Just imagine the birds in the little nest, right? They're in that little nest. And what happens? What does mama eventually have to do? She has to flap them wings, and she has to kick them out of the nest. Right? She has to push them out of the nest. Why? Because our natural tendency is to get comfortable in our nest. Right? We get comfortable in our nest. I can do this. I've done this. I'm confident in this. And then God comes along as your father in heaven, and God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Right? God sees more in you than you see in yourself. And God will come along and he'll start pushing you out of your comfort zone. And you're like, God, are you doing this to me? And the Lord told me to say to you today, yes, it's him. He's pushing you out of your comfort zone. He's pushing you beyond your limits. He's pushing you into new areas and new arenas that you thought you could never walk in. Why? Because that's what loving fathers do. It's called discipline. It's called the process of training and educating you. I mean, think about it. If you grew up in a godly home or you had parents that loved and cared about you, you probably saw your parents do the same thing. If you played sports, you saw your coach do it. Right? You did good and he wanted you to do better. He pushed you. Come on. You can run faster than that. You can hit harder than that. You can score more than that. You can defend better than that. Come on. You got more in you. Man, that's the discipline of the Lord. God punishes when we do wrong, but God pushes us to do more than we ever imagined we could do. And when that's happening, you feel like you're being stretched to your limit. You know what you can do? Lift your hands and say, God, I praise you. I'm a son. Because let me tell you what fathers do. Let me tell you what God does. God never pushes you. Think about it. The mom never pushes the bird out of the nest so they'll fall to their death. She pushes the bird out of their nest because she knows they can fly. Right? They don't know they can fly. She knows they can fly. And God sees your potential. God sees your greatness. God sees what he's put on the inside of you. And God will come along and he'll push you out of the nest. And you're like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I'm flying, I'm flying. Woo! Praise God. I mean, think about it in your life. How many times has that happened? How many times have you been pushed beyond land and you thought, man, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and then you realize, I'm flying. Man, this is fun. That's God. That is the discipline of the Lord. And if you embrace that, right, that's painful. The punishment's painful. The push is painful, right? Because you think, I'm going to die. But you don't die. You fly. Right? You fly. Why? Because God sees your potential. That is the process of training and educating. Look at the second joy. 
The second joy is the joy of holiness. And this is awesome. The joy of holiness. The chisel of God allows us to enter into a deeper place of intimacy with God. Hebrews 12.10 says this. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But, God, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. So that we might share in his holiness. So the discipline of God, the process of training and educating, is a process that produces the joy of of holiness. How many know God is holy? The word holy literally just means to be set apart. God is holy. He is set apart. There's nobody like him. And God calls us to be holy. And he invites us. That scripture says God actually invites us to share in his holiness. So let me just show you how this kind of works. How many of you know God is perfect, right? And God is excellent in all that he does. Excellent are thy ways, O Lord, David said. God operates out of a spirit of excellence. So if God operates out of a spirit of excellence, he's on the path of excellence right here. But how many of you know sometimes we operate out of a lazy spirit? Right? Sometimes we're just going to do just enough to get by. Right? Well, what's the least I can do and still pass? Right? Don't we get in that mindset? What's the least I can do on my job and still get a paycheck? What's the least I can invest in my marriage and still stay married? What's the least I can put into my spiritual life and not fall away into horrible sin? See, we get lazy, but God is excellent. And so I want you to see this. So how many of you realize a person that's on the pathway of excellence and a person that's on the pathway of laziness are not on the same path? Amos chapter 3, they're going to put on the screen there. Or Hosea 3, I'm sorry. We got one scripture. One of them it is. Amos or Hosea. There it is, Amos. says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? The lazy man can't walk with the excellent man. So when you allow God through the process of training and education to cut away that spirit of laziness, guess what happened? It moves you to the path of excellence. And guess who's there? God. And guess what happens? All of a sudden you find yourself walking in a new level of intimacy with God. Because if you've been saved for any amount of time, you've already figured this out. There's more God than you ever imagined. And I don't care if you've been serving Jesus for 80 years, there's more of God than you ever imagined. And when we embrace the process of discipline, we allow the process of training and education to work in our lives, it begins to cut away laziness. And all of a sudden, we start operating in excellent spirit. And now we, find, we start finding ourselves moving in a place of intimacy with God that we've never moved in before. How many know God is full of compassion and grace? But sometimes we want to hold bitterness and resentment against people. How many know if you're on the path of bitterness and resentment, you're not on the path of compassion and grace? And when you let God cut that bitterness and resentment away, guess what happens? He moves you to the path of compassion and grace. And all of a sudden, you find out there is a whole new level of intimacy with God you never experienced before. The joy of holiness. Right, if I will, emba if I will embrace the pain of the process... It'll produce the joy of holiness, which is a greater intimacy with God. I'll know him deeper than I've ever known him before. Let me give you the next one, the third joy. It's the joy of righteousness. 
The chisel of God produces a harvest of right living. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Galatians 6, 8 says, For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The joy of righteousness, right? Guess what happens? When you embrace the pain of the process... And you let the process of training and education begin to have its full work in your life. You know what happens? It begins to produce righteousness in your life. You start doing the right thing. You start getting on God's path instead of your path. And all of a sudden, you start, you start managing your family righteously. You start leading your family righteously. You start managing your money righteously. You start conducting yourself in business righteously. And guess what happens? You reap what you sow. Right, And all of a sudden, the joy of righteousness says, man, there's a harvest of right living coming. Now you might say, well, Pastor Keith, I've been doing the right thing over and over again, and nothing's changed. The Bible says we will reap if we do not lose heart. It's the joy after the pain that we're looking for. I want you to understand there is the joy of righteousness. You can know. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. God is not a man that he should lie. If you do righteously, there is a harvest of righteousness with your name on it. And it's coming your way. Well, where is it, Pastor Keith? It's on the other side of the pain. When's the pain going to end? I don't know. How long are you going to embrace it? How long are you going to resist it? How long are you going to fight it? Or how long are you going to embrace what God wants to do? See, I believe we can shorten the time of the pain when we respond, right? When we respond to the process. Now, you can't change other people's decisions, but you can sure enough change yours. Amen? Right? You can't make other people do what you want them to do, but you can do what God wants you to do. And you know what? In that process of pain, if you just keep on doing the right thing and keep on doing the right thing and keep on doing the right thing, there is a harvest of righteousness. Kelly and I walked through 10 years of depression, and we thought it would never end. But praise God, it ended. And we've been enjoying 15 years of, of harvest. Right? 15 years, and we got about 150 more to go. I don't know how long are we going to live till we're 120. We got a lot more to go, right? I'm counting on the harvest. Praise God, there is joy in righteousness. Because if you just keep on doing the right thing in the midst of the pain, right? How, how many of you know that if you, if, you, if you quit school because the tests are so hard, you never graduate? If you don't want to practice with the football team, you don't get to play in the game. Right? See, we disconnect from the process because of the pain, and then we wonder, where's the reward? There's not one. Quitters don't get an award. There's no participation award in heaven. 
You actually got to win. You got to show up. And you got to keep on showing up and keep on showing up and keep on showing up. Chris Lawrence, who works in our children's ministry, has got an amazing testimony. God has radically changed his life. And he, he makes a real simple statement. He says, you want to know why I'm still here? He said, I'm still here because I'm still here. You want to know why I'm still here? I'm still here because I'm still here. If you just keep on showing up to the practice, showing up to the process, facing the pain, guess what will happen? The harvest of righteousness will come. Let me give you the last one, the fourth joy. One of my favorites right here, the joy of leadership. The joy of leadership. Hebrews chapter 2 makes a great statement. It says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, look at this next statement, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit or equipped to bring them, that them is us, by the way, into their salvation. The Bible says that God made Jesus a perfect leader through suffering. King James says the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. It was through the process of training and education, discipline, that Jesus became the man that he needed to be to take us in to the glory of God. Now, I've never thought about this until I was studying this lesson, but the Lord showed me something. He said, Keith, even Jesus had things that needed to be cut out of his life. I thought, well, God, Jesus is perfect. What? There's no sin in him. Well, God said, you're right, there's no sin. How many of you understand there's a lot of things that aren't sin in your life that are still hindering you from doing what God wants you to do? And this is what he said. He said, remember the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Jesus pray? He said, not my will, but thine be done. So what does that tell us? Jesus' will did not want to go to the cross. Jesus' will did not want to go to the cross. Jesus' will did not want to go to the cross. His will had to be cut away. His will had to be perfected through the process of pain. So he could finally come to a place where he said, God, it's not about what I want. It's all about what you want. And I'm going to endure the cross because there's joy on the other side. And I want to become a leader that's going to bring your people into the saving grace that you have made available for them. Let me just say this to you. So the joy of leadership is this. I want you to hear this. This is great. Not because I'm saying it, but because God gave it to me. You can't take people where you haven't been. You can't take people where you haven't been. Let me give you, the Lord just gave me this simple thought. He said, Keith, he said, real leadership is about being a tour guide, not a travel agent. See, a travel agent will sell you a ticket to go somewhere they've never been before. But a tour guide is going to lead you along the road. They've already walked. They're going to say, oh, yeah, right over there, man, that's where that happened. And right over here, oh, I did that. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. It was horrible. Don't do that. And man, we're going to get over, man, you, when we get to the top of this hill, you're going to see something you've never seen before, and your life is going to be changed. Why? Because that tour guide's been there. They've been there. They've done that. 
And I, and I listen. I listen to a lot of preachers, a lot of teachers. I listen to a lot of motivational speakers. I listen to a lot of self-help teachers. And this is what I recognize about a lot of the self-help teachers that are out there. They're, tour, they're travel agents, not tour guides. They're trying to sell you a ticket to go somewhere they've never been. Because let me just be real honest with you. Right until you build a great church, you don't know how to build one. Until you build a successful business, you don't know how to build one. Until you've raised teenagers, you don't know how to raise one. Until you've been married, you don't know how to sustain a healthy marriage. Right? Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a lot of great information. It doesn't mean you don't know a lot of good principles. And it doesn't mean you could probably help somebody in every arena of life. But a tour guide is somebody that's actually been where you want to go, and they can lead you there. Why? Because they have been perfected by the pain of the process. And they are now equipped to help others go where they've been. And let me just give you some good news this morning. Every person in this room is a tour guide in some way. See, you hadn't made it this far without walking through some pain. You hadn't made it this far without overcoming some valleys. You hadn't made it this far without going through the process. And you know what? You are equipped and you are qualified to help others go where you've gone. To help others go where you've gone. Because you've been there and done that. And praise God, you got more than a t shirt. <laughs> you got the work of God in your heart that has empowered you to now be able to stand in a place and say, Let me take you where you want to go. Now, now, let me give you some good news. See, because here, here's, let me just make it real simple, real practical. You can't help somebody overcome offense until you've been offended and learn how to forgive. You can't help somebody love unlovable people until you've been surrounded by them for the last 20 years and you figured out how to do it. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to listen. You don't have to go through exactly what they're going through. But if you learn how to overcome offense and walk in forgiveness, you can teach somebody else to do the same thing. If you learn to walk through difficult family circumstances with wayward children, you can help other people do the same thing. If you overcame pride and jealousy and envy and all those things that want to rise up in all of our lives and you found the key to victory, guess what? You can lead somebody else there. And for all you 48 people that just went through the encounter, if you found out what it takes to be free, guess what? You can lead somebody to freedom. You can lead somebody to freedom. But we have to embrace the pain. Because no discipline, no process of training and education is ever joyful in the process. The process is painful. But afterwards, there's joy. And if you and I can set our eyes on the joy to come, like I said, it may come tomorrow, it may come next week, you may get some joy this evening when you get home. You may be ready for a harvest, amen? But it'll come. And the only time it doesn't come is when you quit the process. When you walk off the practice field, you never get to play in the game. You got to stay in. Amen? You got to stay in process. I want us just to bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're on the outside of this Christian thing and you're kind of looking in. Maybe somebody invited you today. 
Maybe you just wandered in off the street. Maybe you found us on the internet. I don't know how you got here today, but you're here. But maybe you're here today and you have never truly accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're still trying to figure out this church thing. You don't even know what to think about what you've experienced here today. Well, you didn't even know churches had fog machines and fancy lights anyway. You're like, man, that's weird. But you know what? You've been here for just about an hour and almost 15 minutes. And you've already recognized something. That there is a God in heaven who loves you. And there's a drawing in your heart. Right now, you might not understand it, but there's something in you that says, I want whatever it is these people have got. I want to know the God that that preacher's been talking about. Because he's a good God. And he's a good Father. And he loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you and me could have a right relationship with him. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't really understand all this, but I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross and He rose again. And and I don't even know how all that really happened, but I believe it happened. And I want to commit my life to Jesus today. I want to follow Him. I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sins and lead me into my future. I want to be a devoted follower of Christ. And I want to trust Him today as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you just to lift your hand. Just a simple act of faith. I want to trust Jesus today. I want to trust Jesus today. God bless those hands that are going up. I want to trust Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. Just leave your hand up for just a moment. I want to trust Him today to be my Lord and Savior. I want to ask Him into my heart and into my life. I want to follow Him. I want to give you about five more seconds and we're going to pray. If you want to pray this prayer with us, if you want to have your heart changed forever, if you want to know the God of the universe that loved you enough to die on a cross for you, then just raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. Nothing magical about raising your hand, but it does express the fact that you are here today in a place of faith and you believe. So if you've raised your hand, let's just pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask the entire church to say it with us out loud. But if you raised your hand, this prayer is for you. And it is as simple as believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. The Bible says that Jesus is Lord we can be saved. So if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. For everyone else here in the church, I want you to pray this with us out loud. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I believe all of that happened because you love me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I confess today that Jesus is Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.